0: Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 26. That's where we're going to be today. And I just want to give you a warning. My voice is a little nasally today. Yesterday, I was uh, working on my brakes because they've been squeaking for the last couple of weeks. And so I got my tires off and I realized my brake pads look great, but I was sitting there my calipers are just like... Black. So I'm scraping all the the dust off and spraying right clean all over it. And all that dust is just kicking up. And so I share this with you because if I'm hacking or if I sound terrible, that's why. But I also feel like you can't have a cold anymore. The last two years of COVID makes me feel like even just having a cold makes me feel untouchable. So I just want to have a moment where I'm sharing my feelings about that. But Exodus chapter 26 is where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. If you don't have a Bible, we have a free one at our front desk. Feel free to grab one on the way out the door today. Bibles can be expensive, so that's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have God's Word ready and available. In the point of the story that we're in right now, because we're in the second to the last week of our series in Exodus, the point of the story that we're in today is when God commands the Israelites to build a tabernacle. A tabernacle is just a mobile temple. In the Bible, there's this big, huge temple in Jerusalem that part of it still stands today. Um, That's the permanent temple. But God commands the Israelites, build this really extremely detailed tent. That's going to be the place where you come and meet me in God's presence. That's what it's going to be about. So the Israelites have been led out of slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been given the Ten Commandments. And now they've been given a covenant from God that says, if you follow the Ten Commandments, build this tabernacle and worship me, you will have me. You will have my presence. You will be blessed. And so that's where we're at today. But I want to give us a little bit of a a warning. We're going to read Exodus 26 in just six short verses because Exodus 26 through 31 is kind of the whole scripture we're going to be talking about today. But here's my warning. I hate to say this, but it's really boring. <laughs> I don't know if boring is the right word, but it is every detail about the tabernacle. Every single little detail for, t- for five chapters is just, here's what you need to do, Israelites. Here's how you build this tabernacle. And I don't know if boring is the right word, but it's one of those passages, a few of those chapters that you read and you're like, What did I just read? (laughs) This is just a bunch of instructions. There's no powerful verse in here. But I believe that there is a powerful message that underlies what's happening in here. So I want us to to read 26, 1 through 6. And you're going to kind of get the gist of what I'm talking about here. But here's what it says. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn. It's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> "...with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long, 4 cubits wide. Join them, or join five of the curtains together, and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of, the cur- uh, at the edge of one end of the curtain in one set, and do the same with the end of the curtain in the other set." Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set, and then set the loops together opposite of each other. Then make 50 gold clasps clasps, and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Like I said, this is good, isn't it? And this goes on all the way until chapter 31. So we're not going to go through chapter 31 and read all of these directions, although The Vikings are on a bye week. We could do this, right? We've got a few hours. We could do this stuff. I'm totally kidding. But you can see how God is incredibly detailed. God cares so much about what his tabernacle, what his meeting place with his people is going to look like. And it reminds me so much of growing up with my mom. Um, Whenever she'd tell me to clean my room, and I would be done in five minutes, and and I would say, I'm done. And she would say, Hold on. Five minutes. Is it clean by your standards or by my standards? And I can still hear her voice telling me to go back, actually clean your room to actually good standards. And so I want to ask the question about God's instructions saying it's this. Is God detailed about the tabernacle for the sake of being detailed about the tabernacle? Is he just trying to make sure every little detail is there because he wants it to look really good or really special or he wants it to be always clean or always look like this? Or... Is there a deeper message that God is trying to speak to the people of Israel about why it's so detailed in the first place? I think we have to understand this chapter through that lens of there is a greater and deeper meaning behind all of this detail. And we'll start with the first detail that really sticks out to me. In verse 1, God says, make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of finely twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn. Now, here's the portion I underlined with cherubim woven into them. You might ask, what the heck is a cherubim? <laughs> right? A cherubim, is, it's a plural word for cherub, and it's an angel or a heavenly creature. We see them all over the book of Revelation. We see them all over the book of Psalms as people are explaining what heaven is going to look like. Now, the question we ask is, why does the inside of the temple, why does it have to be filled with cherubim all over the place, woven into the curtains? Well, the message here is that God wants his people, the Israelites, when they walk into the temple and they're inside it, they see cherubim all around them, he wants them to feel as if they are in heaven. Because when we are in the presence of God, that is what heaven feels like. Even down here on earth, when you talk to a friend who you feel like is, is super close to God, when you come to church and you're worshiping God, when you're reading your Bible and God, it feels like God is just speaking to you, that is heaven coming down to earth. That is God speaking to his people. That is God being with us. We can feel his presence. This is how God wants the Israelites to feel as they walk into the temple, which makes us realize that if it feels like heaven, then God's presence has to be there. You know, oftentimes we think of heaven as, you know, when we die, we're gonna get a really big mansion and probably a Corvette. (laughs) We're really excited about all the things we can get. But what makes heaven heaven isn't all the things that you can get. What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. It is the presence of God for eternity. Now, oftentimes, I think we just make our consumeristic lives, you know, the things that we get the point, but it's really, it's about being in the presence of God, and, which is actually the definition of the temple or the tabernacle. If we want to explain what the temple actually means, it's a meeting place with God. And so when the Israelites come into this temple, they should recognize that they are not just in a tent. They're not just in a church building or in a synagogue, as the Jewish people would call it. They're in the presence of God. And I think that there's a significance there and a sacredness that comes with it, which is a challenge that I want to encourage us as New Hope and as churches all around the United States. Because let's be honest, the United States is a great country, but we're very materialistic. We're very consumeristic, which I think has some good benefits, but it also comes with a lot of baggage too. And when we become consumeristic about church, I think that we lose what church is supposed to be about. The reason why God has this temple so detailed is because he wants his people to know that it's about him. It's not about us. And when we come to church and we, you know, we ask questions, you know, sometimes we pick a church based on, well, is the worship good? Do I like the worship? Do I like the singer? Did the, did the pastor make me laugh today? Because here's the reality. We can just watch a Stephen Furtick sermon on our phone any time of day that we want to. We can just bop on KTIS, which I think is hilarious and for soccer moms, but that's besides the point. Uh, We can just listen to worship music in our car all day long as we go to work and come back. And we can fill our lives with consuming a sermon or consuming some worship or consuming whatever church can give us. Or even if you come to church, we can kind of dip out the door right as service ends. Like, hey, I'm out of here. I'm not going to talk to anybody. We're gone. We treat church like it's this consumeristic thing. Like we just come and listen to a sermon, just come in and sing some worship songs or even just get it on our phones and that's good enough. And we could just pick the best pastor in the, in the U.S. We could just listen to him all the time. But I think I, I want to challenge us, church with this and that there's something greater to what we're doing here when we come into a church building, when we worship God corporately. And it's not the building that makes it special. Okay, I think one of the most beaten down phrases in all of Christianity is that the church is not a building, it's a people. Which is definitely true, but we've beaten that like a dead horse, like crazy. But it's true. There's nothing special about the church building. It's about the people in the church. 1 Corinthians tells us that we are the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in us. Because in the beginning, when Adam and Eve were created they were in the temple. The Garden of Eden is a temple. It's the meeting place that Adam and Eve had with God. When they were exiled out of the Garden of Eden, this is when God commands the Israelites to build this tabernacle, but the tabernacle is temporary. When they get into their promised land, that's when they build the real permanent temple, which actually gets destroyed three different times and rebuilt, and then when Jesus is living, he says, I'm gonna destroy the temple and I'm gonna raise it again in three days. And all the people laugh at him. And actually the Pharisees, they want to kill him because they're like, what are you talking about? You're going to tear down our Lord's house. And what he was saying is he's saying, I am the temple. And he resurrected in three days. That's how he was going to rebuild it in three days. But now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the father, he has sent his Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to be in us believers. That doesn't make us God, but that does make us the temple. So when we talk about coming to church together, it's not about the building that makes us feel like we're in the presence of God. It is about meeting together, being with one another as a bunch of little mini temples, meeting together and worshiping God. And when we do this together, the presence of God is felt, it is known. And as we talk about exit strategy, walking towards new life, walking from a life of sin and slavery into a life of freedom from sin and having an abundant life, we need this presence of God. And so this is why I want to challenge this church not to, not to be consumeristic about church because it's not about how good is the worship. It's not about, well, how good was the sermon? And I will make you laugh. I am a comedian, right? I'm kidding, I'm not that funny, although I think I am. But it's not about that. It's about Jesus and his Holy Spirit and the presence of God coming into our lives and changing us so that we can walk forward in freedom. And I want to be careful too with this that Online church is not a bad thing. It just shouldn't be our end-all be-all. I know right now that there are people who cannot get to church because their, their immune systems are compromised. They're afraid of COVID because of that, and that's totally all well and good. There are people right now who are disabled and can't drive themselves to church. There are reasons to be online and watching it on your phone. But even in that, we should be gathering as people, even with technology, as people, because the power in the presence of God is what changes us, not a church service. It is the power in the presence of God, not how good are our singers or how good was the sermon. It is the power and the presence of God. And this is why God is so detailed about the temple. Because when we understand what the temple is all about, that it's all about him and his presence, we understand that freedom, freedom from slavery, freedom from our sins, all of that, it's not found in us. It's only found in the power and the presence of God. And so I want to ask you a question before we go any further today. We've gone through, I think, six or seven weeks of this series now talking about exit strategy, talking about we can walk forward out of a life of sin and into a life of freedom. If you haven't thought of a sin in your life yet, something that has been keeping you enslaved or entrapped yet, I want you to think about that right now. And I want you to have that in your mind as we move forward with today and with the rest of the sermon and with the rest of gathering here together in the power of the presence of God because we cannot move forward if we don't know where we are, right? If you've ever been on a long road trip, you might have a map, but if you don't know where you are on the map, let's face it, Google Maps, because who has a map anymore? But if you don't know where you are on the map, you can't get to where you're going. All of us, a life of freedom from sin, a life of freedom and peace and love and the power and the presence of God, that sounds amazing, right? That sounds, that is freedom, Every single one of us want that. I don't know a person who doesn't want that. Even if they don't believe in God, a life of freedom from some of the bad habits that you have, man, that sounds refreshing. That sounds good. But if you don't know where you are, if you can't admit where you are, you can't admit the sin that you have, you're never going to get there. But I want to challenge us that it's not ourselves that gets us out of these situations. It's not ourselves that breaks our addictions. It's not ourselves that breaks our bad habits. And it's not ourselves that breaks the power of sin in our life. It is only the power and the presence of God. So here's a a verse that I believe is crucial. And I believe that Jesus had this on his mind when the temple was being built. And as we talk about the concept of the temple, and as Jesus would think of the temple, of the power and the presence and the meeting place with God... I believe that he had this in mind when he said these words, Luke nine 23 it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If being in church or being in the tabernacle that he had the Israelites build if that's all about being in the presence of God, it's all about worshiping God. God has become our object of worship. If that is our focus, We have no time or energy to think about ourselves. And I want you all to take a deep breath out. Sigh, exhale. Because that is freedom. I don't know about you guys, but I think one of the biggest sin struggles that every single person in our our world struggles with is this idea that we are the center of the universe. Except for me, I don't struggle with this at all. But I think all of you, (laughs) totally kidding. And I say that because I am one of the most prideful people that I know. It is so easy for life to be about me. What do I want? What do I need? How can my life be better? And I think this is evidenced by not only all the arguments that we get in with our spouses, because usually it's just because... I'm being selfish. (laughs) Maybe you are too. That's what fighting and arguments come by. We're trying to get what we want, not what each other needs or wants. And I think it's also evidenced by the amount of self-help books and podcasts and everything that's out there. It's all about how can we better our lives. And when we have become the center of the universe, that's when we fall into a crater that is so deep it's so hard to get out of. And this is why the temple is about God. This is why church is about God. This is why as we are individual temples of the Holy Spirit, life should not be about us. It should be about God. Because when it becomes about us and we become self-centered and we become the center of our own universe, that's when things go to crap. Instead, Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But honestly, it's a really... Theological phrase in my mind. It's a really spiritual phrase. When Jesus says, Deny yourself, what the heck is he talking about? (laughs) Because if you read that, maybe you don't have any experience in church, maybe it's your first time here, maybe you've only been to church a couple times, you're like, I don't know what deny myself means. Here's what it means it doesn't mean deny yourself a cup of caribou coffee. Like, I really want that, but you know what? I'm just not going to have it today. That's great. It might be healthier for you if you're addicted to caffeine. I'm extremely addicted to caffeine, so that might be a good thing for me. But what Jesus is talking about, he's not saying deny yourself. He's saying deny your self. If we can break up that word yourself to your and self, we recognize that there's a self to us. If you're familiar with um, like modern-day psychology or, or philosophers, Sigmund Freud talks about the id, the ego, and the superego. What he's talking about is we all have a self. We all have something that exists inside of us that has like these animalistic um, cravings and desires. It's why we have such a problem with greed and lust and power. Because deep inside every single one of us, the way that we're created is that these things are good. Sex is good. Money is good. All these things are good. But when we have an unhealthy craving for all of them, that's our human sinful nature coming out. That is our self. These passions of our flesh, these passions of ourselves, they are coming out. And this is what leads us to lust and greed and power. And the list goes on. And so when Jesus says deny yourself, what he's talking about is all of those animalistic desires that we have, all those passions of our flesh, of our self that we have, we need to deny them. If we're feeling a craving towards lust, we need to do whatever we can to deny that lust. If we feel a craving towards power or towards greed or whatever sin you might be struggling with today, Jesus is saying, deny that feeling, deny that action. Don't move forward with that. Instead, follow me. And what it means to follow Jesus is to come into the power and the presence of him. This is why the tabernacle, the temple is all about God because it's a place for us to be able to deny ourselves and come and experience God's presence. It's why coming to church is so crucially important. So much more than just listening to a sermon from Stephen Furtick or whoever you want to listen to, but actually coming to church with other believers, meeting in a small group with other believers, having people that you can pray with is so crucially important because when we are together, the power and the presence of God is with us. And this is the formula for your exit strategy. This is the formula for walking free. If you're so sick and tired of feeling constant guilt and constant shame in your life because you have certain sin struggles that you just keep struggling with, we need to come to Jesus and deny ourselves. We need to have a a reality check in our lives that maybe there's there's some sins that we're sick of, But we haven't really put in the effort to deny ourselves. We haven't really put in the effort to, you know what? Think of a strategy. Instead of getting trapped in that sin constantly every single day, think of a strategy where we can just jump and leave. And when we jump and leave, we have a person that we go to, we have a church that we go to, we have a person that we can pray with, we have a Bible that we can read, or we have a God that we can pray to. This is our exit strategy if there's something in your life that you are so sick of feeling the bondage and the weight and the guilt of just constantly struggling with, you need to have an exit strategy. And so what I want to encourage you to do, I heard a pastor say this last week, and it totally blew my mind. I think this is the perfect description of what we need to do when we're stuck in our sins. He said, the thing that will drive you to the power of God is a confrontation with your own powerlessness. Isn't that so true? Right now, it, like, it makes me emotional on the inside because there's, there's been so many things that I've struggled with in my life that I've tried so hard to just white-knuckle and get through and just be a better person. Like If I could just be a better person, if I could just work harder, if I could just focus on myself more, then I'd finally find freedom. But it doesn't work. I'm still prideful, still sarcastic, Still struggling immensely because power and freedom isn't found in myself it's found in Jesus I need to recognize my own powerlessness and that is when I can experience the power of God and here's why because Jesus must have had more in mind than just a lifelong struggle that I can't overcome And I think that when we recognize our powerlessness, we recognize that when the power and the presence of God is in our lives, that's when we can actually find freedom. And that's when that lifelong struggle that maybe you've been struggling with, you can finally overcome. When you deny yourself, follow Jesus, turn to him. So my big application for you today is this. I want you to confess whatever it is that you've been struggling with. This is part of the point of the temple and coming to church. God gave the Israelites instructions, and we didn't get into it because, it, like I said, it's very long, very detailed. But God gave the Israelites instructions that when they enter the temple, when they enter the presence of God, there are some instructions on what they can do to confess their sins, repent, and be forgiven. This was before Jesus, right? Jesus came down, sacrificed himself on the cross, believing in him, trusting in him with our lives. That's what gives us freedom today. But back in these times, they would sacrifice animals, they would have to light incense. They would have to do all these religious duties, and then God would forgive them. Today, we have access to that all the time. Why? Because the temple isn't a building. God's presence isn't in a building. It's in us. We can pray anytime. And so this is our action step. Confess what you've been going through. And I'm not just, just talking about, you know what, God, I've been, been a little bit prideful lately. No, I'm talking about get detailed with God. If God is detailed about his temple. He wants you to be detailed about your sin. You need to bring up everything, every root cause of maybe your pride or your lust or your greed or your power struggles, whatever it is. You need to bring up every single thing. Bring it to God because bringing things to the light is where you actually find freedom. And so I wanna give you a practical way to do this that I've done this multiple times, just a, a, like a formula for prayer, some prayer prompts. I've done this multiple times when I've really been struggling in my life with certain specific sins and I have found freedom doing this. So here's what I do. I spend 30 minutes in prayer and I know that that sounds very long. For some of you guys, you're like, oh, I pray for two hours. Good for you, you're very spiritual. <laughs> uh, but 30 minutes could sound like a very long time and I get that. But I wanna encourage you that this is, a, this is a powerful and a freedom prayer that I've experienced in my life. So here's how it goes. The first 10 minutes, you pray about what you want. The three prompts are, I want, I fear, and I surrender. And if you wanna write those down and use this, you can, but I want. Spend 10 minutes praying about what do you want? And this can be sinful wants, it can be good wants, it can be godly wants, but what do you want? What is it in life that you want? When you're struggling with a sin, if you're struggling with sarcasm, because that's one of my biggest ones. When you're sarcastic, what do you want? Find the underlying reasons of what you want. Then spend another 10 minutes on, I fear. What do you fear? I mean, for me, am I sarcastic because I want everybody to like me? I don't know, (laughs) probably. (laughs) But what do you fear? What are your deep underlying fears that are causing this sin to come to the surface and affect everybody around you? And then the last one has everything to do with Jesus saying, deny yourself. I surrender. And in our culture of materialism, of consumerism, of greed and power and lust, surrender is the key. You don't need more, you need less. Whatever you fear and whatever you want from the first two prompts, you now surrender. It's an opportunity for you to let go of all of those things that you fear, all of those things that you want. Let go of them all. But Jesus forgive you, wipe your slate clean, and then fill you with his Holy Spirit. Fill you, the temple, with the power and the presence of God if you want freedom, if you need an exit strategy, I believe that this is the way. Deny yourself, worship God only, let the power of God into your life and he'll give you freedom, let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you and we thank you. We are sinful people, we fall short every single day And yet you let us into your temple. You are not a God who says, get away from me. You are not a God who says you're not good enough. You are a God who lets sinful people come into your holy presence. And you change us, you transform us, you set us free. God, if somebody today needs that freedom, I think all of us do. But God, help us to be honest with you to dig up the root causes of our sins, to dig up the root causes of our addictions, and to be set free by your power and your presence. God, we believe in you and we trust in you. We put everything else aside. More alcohol is not going to work. More friends or less friends, it's not going to work. Cutting out toxic people in our lives, it's not going to work. Reading more books, it's not going to work. Nothing else is going to work besides your power and your presence. So God, we trust you and we believe in you today for our freedom. It's in your name I pray. Amen.